Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 237, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We do have a lot to get to today. We've got Mavs, Todd Archer, ESPN Zone will join us, get his thoughts as we dive back into looking at the Cowboys draft over the weekend the Rangers are making moves. A lot of different things to get to. Some weird crap happening in the block. But we can't do any of this without our friends at Greening Law, which is why I tell you all the time. Because you never know, honestly, you, you never know when you're going to need them. You just need the number handy for when you do. 972-934-8900. Whether it's a car accident, malpractice at, at a physician, injured on the premises of a business, you give them a call, and they become your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. Dude, the thing about it is, man, it doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone and let the green team go to work for you. I would highly recommend it. You get in any kind of accident in a car, like Matt said, at your friend's house. You know, hey, it is what it is. Call them and just tell them the details of your case, and they'll tell you whether you've got a case or not. They take you on as a client. Your lucky day. They grind for you, they work hard for you, and they don't get paid unless you get paid. That's very true. That's probably the best part of it. But again, that consultation, absolutely free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. Those Dallas Mavs, I, I, I don't know that I was expecting that last night, man. Game one of the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns, round two of the NBA playoffs, a late tip out there in the desert. And it, was, it wasn't pretty early, and it wasn't pretty <laughs> really for chunks at a time during the game. And I'm going to be honest with you, late games like that, man, that I think the third quarter started, it was, on, it was about 11 o'clock. I mean, the, not the third quarter, the fourth quarter. And they were going into the fourth quarter, and I looked at it and I said... Phoenix is 50 and 0 when leading after three, <laughs> and they're up by 17 points. I'm calling it a night. <laughs> I ain't mad at you, dog. Um, I was in and out of consciousness, unfortunately, but uh, I had it on YouTube TV, so I go back and watch it in the morning if I if I need to. But uh, hey, man, what's funny to me is basically every time I woke up 
the Mavericks were down by 11 yeah. or 13. Like, literally, I woke up like five different times at different points of this game as I was fighting sleep very hard and failing. And each time I woke up, they were down by 11. So when I looked at the final score, I was like, oh, okay, I didn't miss anything as I was dozing on and off. I mean, honestly, really what happened was they got down so quick in the first quarter, they could never catch back up from what happened in the first quarter. Because you look at it, I mean, they were outscored by 10 in the first quarter. And then they were only outscored by three in the second, four in the third. But that all adds up to a 17-point deficit going into the fourth quarter. And they played well. I mean, they outscored Phoenix by 10 in the fourth quarter, but they had gotten down so far so early on that they just didn't have time to chisel out of it. The shooters were called. I mean, there were chunks of the game where it was basically Luka and four dudes that were just out there. I mean, Luka had himself a game now. 45-12-8 for Luca and <laughs> they absurd. they had no answers for him. He had a couple of turnovers where it was simply because I mean, he had that one pass to Dwight Powell. And I thought how in the world did he know that that like he threw it to where the future was going to be and then <laughs> Powell just stopped running or maybe it was Kleba, I can't remember which one, and had just stopped running and Luca was kind of explaining to him like, dude, in that situation like you know, I mean, it would have been an easy two points, and Luca saw it before even Powell saw it. Dude, that's why he's Luca Doncic, man. That's why he's a superstar. Um, you know, Jason Kidd can identify it, man, where the game slows down for you. Magic Johnson, any of those cats like that where the game slows down, and you see these plays and these movements before they even happen, and you have people like us going, oh, my God, how'd that happen? Well, I mean, that's why they are, uh, you know, basketball savants, and we're not. Yeah, it's just, it's really unfortunate because it took a long time and you look at it and you say, okay, well, Jalen Brunson finished with 13 and Spencer did when he only had eight. And when two out of that three-headed monster that they they can have at guard puts together a combined 29 points on a combined nine of 24 shooting and Dinwiddie didn't make a basket until some point like middle of the third quarter. And, and you, yeah. you just got to have more. Against a team like Phoenix, it can't just be Luka. Well, here's the deal, bro. It's, um, now, this is just your boy here. I'm not, uh, I'm not ready to, like, my, my workout partner is more than greets me with, Suns in five, Suns in five. And um, I was like, oh, okay, what'd you say after the Utah series? Jazz in five, but they didn't have Luka. I said, no, 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 bro, you, you know, you're overreacting to the first game, but I get it. Uh, it happens. Now, what I will say is, tell me what you think, man. I looked at that first five minutes when they were down 18-6 and 22-7 and 6-0 or 8-0, whatever it was, and I go, you know what? They look tight to me. Their their shots are short. Yeah. Uh, They're hitting the front of the rim. It just looks like to me like they're like, oh, we're in the second round. This is Phoenix. Wow. Look at the stage. Hey. And by the time they woke up, the ball game was over. So that's my way of saying, I really, this just your boy, Matt, I really just didn't put a whole lot of stock in the first game. I think the second game will be a lot more competitive, be a lot, uh, lot more intense. And I think that they will have a shot to win the second one. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I mean, you don't anticipate they'll come out like you were talking about, as cold as they came out, as tight as they came out. I mean, they got down just so quick. And, and once the game settled out, it, it was a game. The problem was they had basically spotted Phoenix a 10-point buffer that they were trying to eradicate the rest of the game. I mean, you look at it, 
and they ended up shooting 41% from three, which is fantastic. And if they're going to do that without spotting Phoenix a 10-point hole for the rest of the game, they should be okay. They they got colossally out-rebounded, which was a problem against the Jazz, and it allowed a lot of second-chance points for Phoenix when they get out-rebounded 51-36 to 36 on the boards. And Phoenix cooled off as the game went along, but even Phoenix, I mean... They shot over 50% from the field for the game Phoenix did, and they ended up shooting, I think, almost like 40% from three-point line. It, it felt like every time the Mavs would go down and start cracking and chiseling away at the lead, somebody else from Phoenix would go down and hit another three-pointer. And, you know, honestly, for me, what I took away from it is kind of what we all already thought. Phoenix is a better overall team than the Dallas Mavericks. But the reality of it is, with the way Luke is capable of playing if you had gotten a little bit of better play from some of the other pieces on the Mavericks, again, they chiseled it away in the fourth quarter. They fought to come back. I think at one point they got it within like five in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was seven, but they didn't get their ass kicked at the end of the day, and they never stopped fighting, which is a good sign. No, all of that is good, man. I just think that, uh, you know, they're human. They got caught up in the moment. Um, Phoenix is a much better team, and so you don't get nearly the grace that you have um, you know, against Utah to fall behind or slow start slowly or anything, you got to be ready to play uh, when the ball gets tipped off. But they're a much better team, and we knew this. So, you know, we, ju- we just uh, see how game two goes. But what did I say, man? Well, I don't know if I told you this. Maybe I just thought this. <laughs> I wanted to see Phoenix because I wanted another seven games, six games to look at, at – um, Jalen Brunson and see is he what it what I think he is you know because he looked fantastic against the Jazz uh he's been terrific during the regular season and this isn't like oh if he plays bad I don't want him this just means do I think he you know I just try to get some more of the sample size to see is he continuing to elevate his game or that was just a great matchup for him and this is a more difficult matchup and so he looks like the same good player he just doesn't look like a great player and Dinwiddie got to get his thing together too, bro. Yeah, he does. Didn't you need more out of Dinwiddie? Obviously, both of them. I would say Brunson and Dinwiddie, not where you would want them to be. The one thing about Phoenix last night that was a constant was the Mavs just had no answer for DeAndre Ayton. They had absolutely not. I mean, he led the Suns with twenty-five points. He was twelve of twenty. Yes, he's a very good center, and and the Mavs play good defense, but they couldn't do anything about it. And so the one thing that I kind of thought is Phoenix just won that game. At Again, they go into the fourth quarter up by 17, and you got, honestly, an average game from Devin Booker and an average game from Chris Paul. Nothing special. Right. And so that was, I was like, man, if they can't stop Aiton and Paul and Booker don't have to do anything other than just like, I mean, again, Chris Paul had 19 points and three assists. Devin Booker had 23 points and eight assists. Neither one of them was having a Luka Doncic type moment. I mean, they, they weren't perfect. They weren't going berserk. And Phoenix still handily won the game. I mean, I think the problem for the Mavericks, uh, and again, I ain't breaking no news here. What do you do with DeAndre Ayton? Yeah. You know, Dwight Powell can't handle him. Um, Kleber can't really handle him. You know, you don't really have anybody capable of handling him. So, you know, how do you adjust? How do you adapt? How do you make it a little more difficult for him? Because if he's going to score like that, who boy, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, <laughs> a lot of sad singing and slow walking 
off the court at the end of these games. It is, and and I do believe like what you're talking about. I I don't think the Mavs get in such a hole in game two. But again, look, we knew it was going to be tough. We Phoenix is a very very good team. They were eight wins better than any other team in the NBA this year. This is basically the team that just lost in the NBA Finals in a in a tough series against Milwaukee a year ago. This is a very good Phoenix team. The Mavericks are not supposed to win this series, but if Luca has that in him. And some of these other guys can do something here and there. It, you know, it kind of leads you to the to the belief. I mean, he was fighting, man, in that fourth quarter. You know, I woke up and watched the the end of it and hit that three-pointer towards the end, and it got to within five. I want to say it was like 119, 114. And you kept thinking, God, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe he's got a miracle in him. But, you know, what do you, I mean, 45 points, come on. <laughs> he's phenomenal, man. I mean, what can you say about I saw somewhere... I think he's the first player, I can't remember exactly what the stat was, to have a stat line of 45 points, at least 10 rebounds, and 8 assists since Kobe Bryant did it. Like, the youngest player since Kobe. I mean, it's another one of those Lucas stats, you know. <laughs> um, Dude, what can you say? I mean, he was phenomenal. He had his mid-range game working last night. Mm. He was attacking the bucket and all that stuff. Uh but the bottom line is he could do whatever he wants. Uh, he's not going to beat them by him, by themselves. He's got to get help, and help's got to come like it usually does for the Mavericks, man. They got to have like five or six guys in double figures, and somebody else has got to go off and uh, do that, and they have a chance, a chance, uh, because Phoenix really good. Yeah, and that's what happened. I mean, again, Phoenix had six guys that scored 11 points or more yesterday. It was a really – watching them, you get the vibe why this is the team to beat, why they're favorited to win the NBA title. It's a very good Phoenix team. So game two, tomorrow night – well, I guess many of you listening to this on Wednesday, so it'll be tonight in Phoenix, and then they'll jump on a plane and head back to Dallas for games three and four, which will be Friday and Sunday afternoon in Dallas. The hope is that you can get a split. Get the split, win a game on the road, and if you're coming to Dallas and it's 1-1, got a different series, obviously, than if you're down two games to none against a very good Phoenix team. I thought that was a crazy stat, though, the fact that when leading after three, they were 50-0. and They're now 51-0 and when leading after three, the Phoenix Suns. Well, you know, that's, they've also been one of the best teams in basketball that clutch wins. Um, yeah. they, you know, you got Chris Paul running the show, man, which means, and you got good players. And Monty Williams has proved to be a good coach. And so when you have all that working, you got the right guy to slow the tempo and get you a good look when you need one if the other team's making a run. You got a good guy in Chris Paul again running the offense, making sure you get good shots when you got a lead. And then you got a coach orchestrating the whole thing. So, you know, uh, it's hard to achieve perfection. And I I promise you this, I would think at some point during this playoffs they're going to lose the game that they lead going into the fourth quarter. So it might as well happen during this Mavericks series. I'll take it. That would be nice. Game two, Wednesday night. We'll see how the Mavs turn out. So before we get into a trip around the block, let's tell you, of course, have you gotten your Bruce Biltong yet? I was talking to, many of you may remember, we did this a couple of months ago. We had Steve, who is the owner and the guy who started Bruce Biltong on the podcast, had a great conversation with him. Just a really cool guy with a fun story. Started making biltong out of his house, and he was really doing it because he's a South African guy. And biltong is a traditional South African air-dried meat. And he said that friends of his just around here started liking it so much that he thought, well, maybe there's maybe there's something to this, and I could do this as a business. 
So he started Bruce Biltong. It's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. It is a wonderful snack, man. It's delicious. It's high in protein. It's low in calories. It's flavorful. It has zero artificial ingredients, zero sugar. But the best thing of it is actually really tasty. And and I it, it, look, if you like beef jerky, I think you're just going to love this. Dude, it's sensational, man. It's succulent. You know, I got to tell you, when, when we first got it, I was like, South African dried meat. Okay, that's a fancy name for beef jerky. <laughs> and then I tasted it because I, I rock with the sliced bill talk. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, this is a different thing right here. And it is, man. It's it's tender. It doesn't get caught in your teeth. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I also like it because it's got 30 grams of protein. I mean, that's basically a protein shake, bro. Uh, so I like it in the middle of the day, like right about now. Uh, quench a little hunger I got and keep me going to the next meal. But uh, it's fantastic for you. Get some. It's great. You, yeah, all of y'all can thank us later. Yeah, and you're going to like it. And, and no matter if you've had it before or it's now become a regular part of, of what you order to snack on, Use that promo code JAM15, J-A-M-15, when you order it, and you get 15% off your order every time. Whether you're a first-time orderer of Biltong or you've ordered it 20 times, JAM15 at checkout, 15% off your order at bruisebiltong.com. It's bruisebiltong.com. May have to have him on again, man, because I was I, I enjoyed that conversation. He's got some cool stories just about growing up in South Africa and all the other things that he's got going on in life. And of course, also Freeway Tire Shop, where Jacques can tell you, I would imagine that you are the best spokesman, spokesperson for Freeway Tire Shop that exists because every single one of your cars has been at some point under the hands of JR and his guys over there. And my son's challenger is there as we speak, Matt McLaren. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, he had some problem That's with the awesome. door handle. And then JR put a new engine in the Challenger uh, sometime around August, September, and it was time for it to go back and make sure everything was doing everything it was supposed to be doing, some kind of checkpoint or whatever. So it's over there. It's been over there for a couple of days while they, while they uh, did whatever they were supposed to do to it. I think they're supposed to pick it up today, but um, that's the deal, man. I, I trust JR with all my cars, man. All of them been been over there, and that's because what did I just tell you? You can trust him to diagnose a problem. You can trust him to use quality parts to fix it. You can trust him to charge you a fair price for the work that he does. And then what we're talking about here, stand behind the work and guarantee his work, man. What else? What else you want from a mechanic than those four things? Nothing. That's why JR gets out of my business, and you, my friend. Need to take your cars over there. All right? No excuses. Just go take them over to JR and get it done. Freeway Tire Shop, man. Right there just north of downtown Dallas. Online at freewaytireshop.com. You can get on there, request a quote, schedule an appointment. Make sure you let them know you heard about it right here on the Jam Session Podcast. So we'll take this trip around the block and jump into this. And before we get started, I was curious because several of you have tweeted at us about Ozark. And our thoughts, and I, you haven't seen the complete final seven episodes yet, right? No, I'm just, uh, I'm like 20 minutes into the second new one. Okay. So I saw the first one, but I haven't seen the rest of them. Okay, yeah, so we'll hold off on that for another week or so and let everybody get a chance to watch it, because it did just come out. I mean, it literally dropped on Friday, so just a few days ago. I wrapped it up last night. Damn. De definitely have some thoughts on how it finishes out in the finale and how it all plays out, and, and we'll get into that at some point. But uh, just make a note of that. You did say, though, that you watched the John Wayne Gacy thing on Netflix, and I'm curious about that because it, it looks very interesting. 
too. Here's the thing, man. And this is all about John Wayne Gacy. Okay, cool. And it's like any other documentary. It's four parts. And so you've got, you know, it's like any other documentary. You've got the prosecutors and attorneys and, mm-hmm. you know, a few family members or whatever sprinkled in talking about John Wayne Gacy, who, um, you know, had all those people. Was it? Yeah, it was 30 bodies buried in his house. Yeah, they they discovered he had raped, tortured and murdered at least 33 young men and boys over the course of years and and buried them under his house. Yeah. So now the story to those of us who are into serial killers and why they do the the garish things that they do is very interesting. What made this, you know, fascinating is that they had the tapes where he was interviewed by detectives at various times. And so you get to hear the man in his own words say things and you go, dude, you are literally crazy. Mm-hmm. Or you hear the arrogance or, you know, the, the narcissism come out. All these things that led to him doing the, uh, the awful, vile things that he did. But I got to tell you, man, the most damning thing he said. And I, it, matter of fact, I went back and listened to it about three or four different times trying to figure out how you come to this conclusion okay here it is bro now you know he was he was he was married a couple different times yeah. he had two kids i think i don't think he had any kids with his second wife but all the people he killed to the best of my knowledge were young men somewhere between like 15 and 28 or whatever and so at one point he's telling one of the attorneys i'm not gay no i don't do anything with gay i hate gay people it's like, but you're having sex with him, giving and receiving. Yeah. But he's like, I'm not gay. I have. I would never be gay. Uh, those people are weak. I mean, just so I'm like, I was like, well, what are you doing then, bro? No, no judgment here, but like, what are you doing? And how he could rationalize his hate for gay people, you know, because basically you commit these acts, then you hate the fact that you committed them. You hate the fact that these people. I got air quotes here, made you do these acts, so then you kill them. Like, really? When it comes out of his mouth, you're like, dude, how did you really get to that thought process and tell you, like, yeah, yeah, it's not my fault that they're here. They made me do this. I didn't really want to do this. Uh, So now I'm going to kill them. Well, you know, in part because of my shame, in part because I violated them, so, you know, I can't let them go now. I mean, it's just, dude. It was just wild to sit there and listen to it. But it was fascinating, bro. I blew, had some time this weekend, and I just blew through all four of them on whatever night that was, Friday or Saturday. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that about guy and of serial killers, and I think that we all off the top of our head can name a few of them, but John Wayne Gacy is probably one of the first that people would name. Jeffrey Dahmer's got to be up there, I would imagine. I mean, there's obviously a variety of them that have been around throughout the years, but John Wayne Gacy, and I think part of it is because a lot of people hate clowns and he used to dress up like a clown and he would perform. And this is how creepy this dude is. He performed at children's hospitals and charity events and known as like patches, the clown or Pogo, the clown that he had come up with. And so I think it kind of played into that whole thing where like, oh my God, a lot of people hate clowns anyway. This dude's a serial killer. And it it just, it made him even more infamous than he would have been. Yeah, and you know, uh, one of the things he said in the doc on the tape is that, um, 
When you dress up with a, as a clown, you can do anything you want to because nobody will say anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> just, That's very true. You know, because why? You're, I mean, you're a clown. You're in, the, you're in character. Uh, it was wild, man. It, it was such a good documentary that it ended. And you know what I did next? I went to the Ted Bundy tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ted Bundy would be another one, man. Ed Gain, I mean... You know, there, there's so many of them that have been throughout the years that except for whatever reason, people just know. And while I thought I knew a lot about, I didn't finish that one, but while I thought I knew a lot about Ted Bundy, bro, I had no idea that he was like a, I don't want to call him a mover and a shaker, but he was very well, I mean, he was moving around in the political arena in California, um, you know, appearing, I mean, he was in the newspaper several times, appearing on various boards and stuff. And it was just shocking that, uh, that yeah, that's, that's the guy who was killing all these people. And then one last thing about him because it just popped in my head. Because I thought it was like, really? So these two, there's some huge function at this park. Like huge function, like, you know, just tons of people there. And these two girls come up missing at this function. And everybody's like, oh, my God, how did these two people come up missing while all these people are here? Yeah. And so they go around and they're like, oh, we, you know, we saw this girl go off with this guy, yellow Volkswagen, da, 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 da. And somebody else said, yeah, I saw my friend go off with the guy. He's got a Volkswagen. He's trying to help him do something, whatever. And uh, yeah, I remember he introduced himself as Ted. I'm like, so you're really out here banging people over the head and giving them your real name? Yeah. I'm like, that's the height of arrogance and narcissism and all those things that ultimately get these guys caught because if nobody ever catches them, the vast majority of them have to let you know that they're doing it because what's the fun in doing it if nobody knows? Yeah, man. That's very, very true, and that's what happens. Although they estimate that at any given time there are active serial killers and, and some, like, they'll never catch them. Well, not everybody needs wants, wants you to know. I mean, yeah. look at Dexter. He didn't want anybody to know. No, it's very true. And you, you just kind of wonder how many are how out many there. How many have you bumped into over the years and said, hey, What's up? Thank you. Whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's a serial killer. Dude, how about this? So this is from an, I just Googled it real quick. This is from an article that came out like a year ago. And they estimate that authorities and other sources believe that there are as many as 50 serial killers operating today. That I seems, believe, I don't know why, that just seems like crazy high. I would have thought like a oh, handful. Nah. nah, bro. You got it. Okay, I, I'm just going to tell you this, bro. You know, I've 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 gone much I've gone down this astrology rabbit hole. And bro, there's so many people out there whose charts and who are born under such darkness that I'm not even surprised, man. Just like there are people who are born under such, you know, yeah. It's like they yeah, just true. got dipped in success. Yeah. Like everything on their chart is the best placement for this and the best placement for that. And you look up and go, oh, I guess that's why Barack Obama is Barack Obama. He, yeah. Look at his chart. He's, all this stuff is great. And, uh, but anyway, it's just like, take this for example. And see, now you can poo poo and roll your eyes at the stars and astrology. I'm not talking to, I'm talking at a much deeper level. But I showed a chart. I took a screenshot of a friend's chart, of a friend of a friend is really what it was. And uh, I sent it to my friend, my other friend, who's kind of like an expert in this. And I go, what would you tell me about this person? Mm -hmm. And she literally looked at it for like five seconds and said, oh, he's got all kind of mental problems. I go, why would you say that? 
She said, oh, look at this chart. He's got an Aquarius sun and Aquarius moon and Aquarius mercury and all this other stuff. It's, he doesn't have enough emotion in there. He's, he's really too dark. Bro, that person's got, that person's been in and out of the mental hospital, bro, for like the last couple of years. And my only point of that is the stars will tell you a lot. I'm not talking about your, are you Aquarius or Capricorn or whatever, but I'm talking about if you go much deeper into it. Yeah. It's amazing how accurate it can be on your personal life. And uh, what I'm saying is, dude, there's so many people out there who, who are messed up that uh, I'm not even surprised. Yeah, and, and so there's that with the serial killers. I mean, it's always weird to think about that. But then again, like you said, not everybody has to brag about it. They just do it and go back home and nobody ever discovers them. Bro. <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, think about it. It's this simple. Like, I'm just going to refer to everybody's birth chart. You can go Google it if you're not familiar with a birth chart. But your birth chart really says you, you're either a person who's kind of impulsive or you've got a lot of emotion or you're very logical or you're very intelligent. And everybody's got some degree of all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, those people, and you can look at their charts who are born and they're either highly emotional or they lack all of emotion. Because, you know, if you're highly emotional... You can be fine and go, I got to kill somebody today. And you go out there and do it and disappear. And the yeah. urge comes back again in a year. And, I, you know, I fought as long as I could. I got to go do it today. But you can look at those charts that have that darkness in them, man. or don't have enough emotion in them. And you're just like, well, hell, I see why they did it. So we will move on to that. And, I, and I'd be curious to see if there's a birth chart for this guy. Well, while you're, while you're saying it, I'll look it up. Because this is a man by the name of Malcolm McDonald. And there is a documentary that is about to come out, a a documentary series, and and I'm not exactly sure where it'll be available. I was trying to figure that out. The name of the documentary is The Man with the Penis on His Arm. Oh, my. (laughs) So apparently this is the true story Behind a man who, I mean, I'm going to tell you straight up, this is one of the wildest stories you will ever hear in your entire life. Okay, let me let me see. Uh, let me just see if his birth chart's available. What's his name? Malcolm McDowell? Malcolm McDonald. McDonald. All right. So apparently he had some sort of an infection in his perineum, and one day his penis just fell off. What? Dead serious. It fell off. It fell off. And they, they say it's because of blood poisoning, and it became an infection in the perineum of the penis, and it just literally fell off of his body. I would be so sad. I mean, what would you do? So, obviously, he freaks out. And, and as you, he's 47 years old now. Six years ago... He had it redesigned by doctors who manufactured a new one for him using a skin flap on his left arm. Now, they had planned to move the arm dong down to his normal area. Arm dong? Whatever you want to call it. You know, his his arm wiener, his... I mean, it literally, there's a picture of it. It's a penis hanging off of a forearm. And this is a true story. I swear to you, this is true. And he says that they were forced to stop the operation due to a lack of oxygen in his blood, and he was left with this thing they had built poking out of his forearm. 
in that another surgery to make move to put it between his legs has been delayed until now because of scheduling mix-ups, staff shortages, and the pandemic. Gee whiz. He said, obviously, when people see me in the pub or whatever, they make jokes and whatnot. But it is a new, apparently there's Channel 4 in England, and hopefully we'll be able to figure out a way to watch this. In the new documentary, The Man with the Penis on His Arm, McDonald recalls helping an elderly lady retrieve an item from the top shelf at the grocery store, only to have the penis pop out from his sleeve and hit her in the head. Boy, stop, 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 stop. This is stop, true. Stop. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is true, man. They say, so earlier this year, they finally were able to perform the successful surgery, and it has been moved, removed from his forearm down to where it should go. It was a nine-hour operation, and he said, the first thing I did when I woke up was look down and said, oh, my days, they finally got it right. He says, can you imagine six years of your life with a penis swinging on your arm? No, not really. Can't say the hand. My God. Every time, like anytime you had chicken nuggets and you were reaching to dip your nugget, you would dip your dong in the sauce, too. My God. This is so I mean, how about, you, how about you stretch your arm and accidentally slap somebody upside the head? I know. It? That's what they were saying. That I mean, there's all these types of things that he had to, you know, roll with and that it's now a normal thing. I mean, he's got like a penis pump and stuff in it so that he can engage in activities and all that. But, <laughs> I mean, holy crap. Not to mention Dude. the fact, the fact that it just fell off. I mean, that, I don't know how you, I don't know how you function. Like, it seems like I don't know. I don't know. Seemed like you would die if your junk just fell off. I don't know, man, but I mean, I like I remember when I was a little kid, my dad used to tell me and my brother Chris, you know, he'd like you better fall off. No, well, he used to be like, you better make sure you change your underwear. You're gonna get crotch rot, and your and your thing's gonna fall off. And we used to be horrified of that, so we'd always make sure to wear clean underwear, you know. And I and then I got older. I was like, well, obviously you're. It's not you're not. This guy got crotch rot, and his thing fell off. And, you know, I mean, if that doesn't teach your kids to clean their junk, what will? Well, I mean, I think you've got to tell your kids this story is here's the reason why you clean your junk. You don't want that thing to fall off. Hey. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to make sure that you keep that taken care of, man, because if not, you too may have one attached to your forearm one day. Wow. I mean, six years you got to roll around with this. <laughs> six years. I really can't believe you did that, man. I mean, I don't even I know mean, what to say to that. But again, I'm, I'm, like, it wasn't I'm supposed shocked. to be that way. No, but God, I just don't know how you walk around with your dong on your arm for six years. You wouldn't have a I mean, choice? I, I guess it's a great conversation piece. It would just be what, and, and well, I mean, you'd probably wear a lot of, you know, you'd have to tape it down to your arm, maybe wear a bandage over it, and wear a lot of long sleeves. No, I'd be wearing short sleeves. I'd be slinging that thing. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, what if it, I hope it was on his left arm and not his right arm because you go to shake somebody's hand. You're like, whoa, what is this? What are you doing? And you know somebody would grab it and be like, oh, God, what is that? And then, oh, it's attached to you. <laughs> I mean, it didn't do anything. They were just growing it there so they could attach it down, you know, where he could use it like normal. Like, it's not like he could use it sexually or do anything with it. It was just hanging there. Wow. That's what I mean. That's so insane. I guess you get used to it after a while, but that, that has to be the weirdest thing of all time where you wake up and, well, there it is. 
just, hanging off of my my I just, arm. I just don't know how you function like that, bro. I don't know. How I you hope do I, it I hope I never do. Yeah, I hope neither one of us ever do because that is something you nobody should ever have to do. This. <laughs> I mean, again, some of the stories like the links on this. I mean, this is the New York Post, which all I mean, the New York Post has the craziest stories of all time. I don't even know how they True find that. these. Things. True that. So one of the headlines that's attached to this story is man rushed to the ICU after crunching lung while masturbating too hard. Say what? I don't know, man. So I clicked on that one. And then the next headline is this man almost loses penis after matted pubic hair cuts off his circulation. <laughs> I guess he need to go to manscape. God, dude. I mean, what are people doing? Wow. Guys, if you are listening, take care of your your guy. And, and his friends. Seriously. <laughs> this is important stuff here, okay? So let's jump into this then, and we will welcome in our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, Todd Archer, joining us here to talk a little NFL draft. And Todd, we haven't obviously talked to you since last week before the draft and so many things to go through with this, but what's the overall take with the pick in the first round of Tyler Smith there in offensive lineman? We kind of knew that they might take an offensive lineman, but it seems like this is a name that really surprised people. Yeah, you know, his name gained some traction late in the process and it was mocked to the Cowboys a few times. I know I reached out to people over at the Star and I said, yeah, we'd like to get him into the second round maybe. So I didn't really think of it as a serious measure because again I went by small school changing positions is that really what you'd want to do that's not been the Cowboys MO uh, here lately under Will McClay so I I didn't dismiss it but then you start hearing the Cowboys say we have 14 first round grades by the time they get down to 28 24 when they were picking 24 yeah 24 when they were picking like okay you're probably going to be into the second round so I never really put two and two together, but they, they made the move. And look, this is my belief. If Kenyon Green or Zion Johnson were there with Tyler Smith, I think they would have taken either one of those guards over Tyler Smith. And maybe I'm wrong, even though th that they were lower rated on their draft board. And I'll take you back to last year. What did they tell us? Micah Parsons was our number one rated defensive player on the board. We all know if Pat Sertan or J.C. Horn were there, the Cowboys were taking either one of those cornerbacks. So, you know, we, so that's how I think it would have gone. And, you know, they, I, I don't think they were looking to move way up. Uh, I think there were some names that intrigued them, like Drake London and maybe Olave. But, and, and then the trade-down scenario, by the time they were getting wiped out where they were, so they're like, let's, let's, let's just take the guy that we think is going to be a – eventual replacement for Tyron Smith and a guy you, put, you better be able to plug in and play right away at left guard or else this move really doesn't make sense because this is a team that needs to win now, not two or three years from now. Bro, he absolutely better. I ain't trying to hear nothing about he can't step in and play left guard right away. Hey, we heard Steven say that first night. He's like, hey, I don't want to put too much on him that he comes in and starts right away. If he's a 15th rate rated player on your draft board and he can't start right away, then he then this is a terrible draft, right? I mean, not not from the Cowboys' perspective. I'm just talking about players available. If there's not 15 players that can walk into an on your draft board that can start 
as rookies, what are we doing here? Yeah. No, you you had you had to draft a starter. So right. I'm not trying to hear that. Not at all. I mean, and maybe like they're just trying to, to be nice to Connor McGovern, right? And don't want to offend him and say, hey, you're going to have a chance to win the job and do, 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 you know, all that stuff. Fine, I, I guess. But I don't remember them worrying about Ron Leary's feelings when they started pumping up Lael Collins in 2015 as a first round pick that they signed as a undrafted free agent. I don't remember them worrying about uh, Bill Nagy's or, or, Phil Costa's feelings or whoever the heck the center was when they drafted Travis Frederick at number 13 or in 2013. Um, it was same with Zach Martin in 2014, same with Tyron Smith in 2011. I mean, these guys were walk-in starters. Now those are picks 11, 14 and, and Travis, I think was 31, but this kid better come in and start right away. (laughs) Or else you're getting Connor McGovern that, is playing better than he's ever played uh, since the Cowboys took him in the third round. Yeah, I was going to say, man, ain't nobody – I mean, Connor McGovern had three years here for us not to hurt his feelings. So, you know, two. that just is what it is. Wasn't it two years? Was it three two years? years? Three years. Two years, three years. Oh, no, he yeah, he was 2019. Yeah, he was yeah. hurt his rookie year, didn't play, and then, yeah, 20 and 21. Right, you're right. Right. And they tried to give him a job last year, and he couldn't take it. So, hey, you know. Your feelings no longer count. <laughs> so I guess that's true, but yeah, so let it be written, so let it be done. Yeah, and and I mean, why would you take? Why would you ever take a first round pick that you are going to try and redshirt or don't believe is ready to go in the position the Cowboys are in? But I, I will say, I, I thought that they did. I know a lot of people thought they reached on Sam Williams, but I didn't. Didn't bother me because I don't think he would have been there in the third round. And they came out with two guys with Williams and Jalen Tolbert on the second day that I think are guys that can step in and and contribute immediately and, and offer some impact, it seems like. Yeah, and, you know, look at last year's draft, right? If they had just flip-flopped Jabril Cox and Nashawn Wright, no one would have said the Cowboys reached for Nashawn Wright in the, third, in the fourth round where they got him. And everybody would have praised, that, you know, they got Jabril Cox in the third round, that's a good pick. What's well, the same thing with these guys in my mind? Like, okay, you might think that they reached for Williams. I don't know if they really did. He's a guy with 12 and a half sacks in the NCC. They needed a pass rusher. They were running out of guys that they would have taken that could come in and, and make them make the move. Well, they ended up getting both of the guys anyway. So who cares how you got them? You got them, right? I mean, yeah. and, you know, Tolbert's a guy that appears, uh, how do I want to say this? Played at South Alabama, but has better ability than what you think for a guy who was in the Sun Belt Conference. Totally lit up Tennessee's defense last year, played really well at the Senior Bowl and practices against bigger competition. So, you know, and, and look, he comes with the Dak seal approval. Dak talked to him a couple of days before the draft, got a feel for him, what the kid is like, what he likes, what he, what he can do. That doesn't guarantee success, obviously, but, you know, seems, seems like that's the one pick where, where Cowboys fans are like, Okay, this guy might have a little something here. <laughs> uh, I just know that they need. And six people have seen South Alabama playing. By the way, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'm not one of those six. I'm not uh, one of those six either. Maybe Matt has. Uh, <laughs> I saw a little bit of the Tennessee game. That was it. All right, hey, at least you seen more than I did. But uh, they need to. They need at least the first four guys to come in and play for real. 
um, and be real contributors. Uh, they don't have to start, but you know, I'm in that 500 to 700 snap deal, which means you're a significant contributor, 35, 40 snaps a game. Absolutely, with Ferguson, he he becomes the he should be the second tight end behind Dalton Schultz. And if you don't sign Dalton Schultz to a contract extension, and he plays the year on the tag, then he leaves next year on a, on a big time deal, and Ferguson moves up the up the depth chart, and they draft another tight end next year. I mean, it, it's we're hearing them say it over and over again. Never remember them saying it before McCarthy got here, but this is draft and develop. Well, you draft and develop for four or five years, and you got to turn them through. And you know, Ferguson has to come in and play right away and be effective, not just play. Uh, Tolbert with Gallup's situation missing the first couple games. Who knows about James Washington? We've seen Noah Brown to know what Noah Brown is. Uh, he has to come in and contribute right away, talking about Tolbert. The second round, the Cowboys feel like they got a pretty good pass rush rotation now with Demarcus Lawrence, uh, Dante Fowler, Doran Armstrong, and, and now with Williams, and throw Micah in that mix as well. So they feel pretty good there. And we've talked about the first round pick. You know, Jack talked about like filling their needs, and it was they teams get defensive when you say you drafted for need. You shouldn't you draft for need? Like I, I realize it's like the whole best player available argument is out there, but if the best player available in the Cowboys pick at twenty four was a quarterback, let's say, were they going to take a quarterback? <laughs> no, no. Like yeah. so that's why the whole best player available argument doesn't make sense to me like you have to look at your roster and assess your needs and where you're going to get guys and how they're going to fit and you know they address their needs with their first four picks and and as you said Josh they they better play this year because this is a team that needs them to play you know with with what they've lost here in the offseason now you're not expecting Tolbert to be oh he's going to replace Amari Cooper no you're not expecting Sam Williams to come in and get you six packs like Randy Gregory did necessarily. I mean, and you're not expecting Ferguson to come in and do what the Cowboys hope really Blake Jarwin could do, but they got to be some sort of reasonable facsimiles thereof. And I guess if we're talking about comparisons, well, Tyler Smith did have 16 penalties last year and he replaced the guy who had 15 penalties last year. So that's a lot of penalties, bro. I know that's what I, that's what I said the other day when we were talking after the draft, and I was like, "Well, I mean, you know, they got rid of a guy who commits a ton of penalties for another guy who commits a ton of penalties. So that's great." My God, that's a lot you know, of penalties, right? And you know, look, everybody can say, "Oh, the referees had it out for him," and some of the holes he was just so dominant and throwing the guys down, and he needs work on his technique. I, I, I okay, cool. Well, sixteen of them, like that's more than one game in college, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I would assume the Tulsa coaches were teaching technique and they just didn't say talk guys all over the place. Um, and, and look, it, when, when Smith came in there, man, he was impressive when he talked to us and what he wants to do and, and how he believes how he can improve and be a guy that can play right away and all that. Man, you know, I'll give the kid the benefit of the doubt. But now the, the doubt turns on to the Cowboys coaches that will be coaching them and Joe Philbin and Jeff Blasco on the offensive line, can they develop them? I guess you can say in the first two years here, they've developed Terrence Steele and they've developed Tyler Biotish because those guys are starters. But I think there's questions about both guys as they're heading into their third season. So it's a big year for the coaches to prove that you can develop a guy. 
Yeah, if they want to keep their jobs. Well, that goes for every coach. Right? Well, I mean, uh, I mean if they don't develop them, then the season is not going to go they want it, and, you know, they ain't going to be here. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is a – and that's another reason why it was a little weird on the we've, – we've heard Jerry talk about winning now, and we know McCarthy needs to win now. And then talking about here's our left tackle of the future, and Tyron Smith has a lot of tread on the tire. Well, those two things don't go together. So this dude better be a guy who I'm not saying he's got to be the best offensive lineman in the draft, but he better solidify that line better than what Connor Williams did the last couple of years. You know, you bring up Jalen Tolbert and, and mentioned that Dak called him before the draft and talked to him. Is that something that do you have any idea? I mean, does he do that? Do they say, hey, here's a few receivers we're looking at, give them a call, or, or why there was a reason it was him specifically that they reached out to? I think there were others that he had talked to, not, but he was in the And look, I can't tell you if it was two guys or ten guys, right? So, but this is, the, this is, a, this is how the Cowboys operate. And, and Jerry mentioned it at the, at the, at the draft uh, when – Troy worked out LaFleur and Tony Gonzalez threw him passes before the draft and help me out draft. Is that 97, 98, 97? Nin- when are they draft? 97, I think. Yeah. So, and we all know that Romo looked at guys in the 2013 draft of Terrence Williams and, and uh, Gavin Esquire, the two guys that, that they picked. Now they didn't pick him because Tony liked them and, and, you know, but that played a part in it. So I didn't think it's the evolution of their quarterback and where they are in their careers when they're with the Cowboys, that they should have, this might make Aaron Rodgers mad, but they should have some say, I guess is the right, you know, not the say, but some say. And, you know, the way it was explained to me is Dak was pretty impressed by this kid when he talked to him on the phone. I'm sure he talked to other guys, and so I can't, but I can't tell you who. Um, but I think this is how the, the, the Cowboys kind of go about it, whether that's, you know, whether you want to say it's wrong, whether you want to say it's right doesn't matter. This is how they do it. I hear you. When they were drafting Tyler Smith, there was some question about why they didn't draft the center from um, Iowa who ended up going to Baltimore. Did you hear Will McClay's uh, response to that? He said he's the first best center in the draft. Yeah, but right? you hear what he said. Yeah, I, th- oh, I think well, he said that. Well, that's what he told us. That's what Will told no. us. No, he did, but he had a um, – I was looking for it now that I, that I brought the topic up. Uh, here it is. Uh, this is Will McClay on the flagship station today, I believe, talking about Tyler Linderbaum. Linderbaum is a really, really good player. I don't want to discount his ability for anything, but when you look at what you're trying to build, certain players fit into certain schemes better. That's why people's draft boards look different. That's why people will ha- that's why people will have the New England Patriots drafted the guy from UT Chattanooga because you see something in that player that fits you better than what outside forces think. What's important for us is to be able to move people in the run game and to be able to anchor in the pass game. You look at the size, speed, and athleticism of the defensive linemen that are coming into this league now, the Philadelphia Eagles drafted a big giant that runs faster uh, than some receivers. You look at the physical measurements and these things kind of devise your plan based on that and how you want to play. Essentially saying, terrific player, he just ain't big enough to handle these big boys in the NFC East, and and that's why we passed on him. And and how the Cowboys want to play. Think of what the now look. 
Does Beatrice look like a guy who anchors? Does Beatrice look like a guy who moves guys all over the place? I don't know about that, but he's a fourth-round pick, so it's a little different. But, you know, the, it, Jerry told us after, he's like, look, I don't want a center who can't anchor and keep the keep the pocket clean. We can say that they have questions about Beatrice in that same vein, um, but they think they got bigger and stronger at left guard than what they've been. We'll see if they're better, but they're bigger and stronger. So that should help the the, the center. Um, but I, I don't I didn't mind them not taking Linderbaum. I mean, just because the media folks and let's be honest, that's kind of how people generate their opinions of what how these drafts are when they immediately happen. If you have picking it a draft analyst guy, whoever you want to say, says Linderbaum's the best center in the draft. What well, does it mean that he fits for every team? So you have to look at how the Cowboys play, and the Cowboys aren't. They want to be able to move guys on the offensive line. It's not a – like they, they wouldn't pick a Jason Kelsey, who's one of the best centers of his generation, but the Cowboys weren't going to pick – would never pick a guy like that. That's not how they play. So I, I'm okay with them not taking Linderbaum. The process of how you get there as opposed to the player that you take in some respects. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's always good. Like I think you and I and Matt understand this. I think it's always good when a guy like Will takes an extra thirty seconds to explain it to the fan base who's just screaming. How could you not? How could you pass on the best center in the draft when you tell us all season that you don't really like this Biotis guy and we've seen him push back in the pocket? And yeah, this kid's two hundred and ninety-two pounds. He's got short arms. They don't think he has any kind of position flex. And that was another thing that Jerry talked about. And look, we'll find out who's right and who's wrong. I mean, both teams have pretty good track records here. You know, Baltimore has a longer track record of draft success than the Cowboys. But the Cowboys have drafted pretty well here lately. So, But, but I, I don't think we're going to look at this one the way we do Johnny Manziel and Zach Martin or um, who are other guys that people thought you know, uh, you know, you where you're always comparing Cowboys draft picks to, right? I mean, it here here lately. I'm trying to think. I of mean, Taco, that, Taco and TJ Watt are the big one. Yeah. TJ Watt, right? That, that's another one. Like, I don't think we're going to be, and maybe it's the the position that they play, where you just gonna be like, are you, are they not going to win a Super Bowl because they don't have a center? Like, yeah. oh, like everybody <laughs> tell me who the Ram. Right now, either one of y'all, don't Google it. Who's the Ram Center? <laughs> I don't freaking know. Beats me, man. I just know Whitworth was on that offensive line. <laughs> right. And the, the point comes down to why do the Cowboys feel like they need to have four, four or five first-round picks as they're on their offensive line to succeed? And, oh, by the way, since they've been doing this, they've won like three playoff games. So <laughs> as good as it's all been up front, it still hasn't meant a whole big bag of nothing. Because they've not advanced, so you can't say their way is actually right either. So yeah. I guess I'm just talking in circles now. <laughs> is is there a guy? Because we talked about the top four guys, and then you look at it with the three guys in the in the fifth with Willetsko, Bland, and Clark Ridgeway there in the fifth as well, and then Harper. Was there a guy that they got later on in the fifth or the sixth there that they seemed to be? I don't know, more excited about, or, or more like, oh, I can't believe this guy was actually here. Well, if you think I'm going to say a guy from North Dakota, not even North Dakota State would be that guy. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Um, I would say 
I mean, the kid might not even play this year, but I guess it would be Clark where yeah. you got him, right? If he That's what I if thought. he wasn't hurt, he might have been a second or third round pick. Um, so that might turn in. And usually Jerry takes those kind of risks in the second round. They took it in the fifth now. So that's, that's fine. But if that kid can come back and play, they might have really hit on something. I do know a lot of people like the Deron Bland kid from the Fresno cornerback that they got uh, before Clark and, and thought he's you know a, a rising type of sleeper sort of player that, that he can help eventually. But I don't know if you say he can help now. But I, I would say Clark and probably Bland – and, and Ridgeway is going to have an opportunity here, too, because of the construction of their roster. They don't have a lot of guys like him. Just, like, big, plugging-type guys. They got one in Bohanna, and, you know, you probably ideally would like to have more than one of those guys. So I don't know if we'll be the, the roster will come down to an either-or on Ridgeway or Bohanna at the end of the day. Maybe it does, but um, – you know, I think that they'll have some guys on that third day that could make – will have beyond Ferguson, which we already talked about. So I guess some of those fifth-round picks that could play and have some roles, certainly on special teams and, and Harper in the sixth round and, and uh, Bland uh, there in the fifth. But Ridgeway is a guy that could be a, a, a part of their rotation that I know that they've liked for quite a while. Yeah, and an Arkansas guy, too, which we've only seen just the second time ever Jerry's taken an Arkansas guy since Felix yeah. Jones. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everybody always assumes that Jerry's going to defer to the Arkansas guy and, he's, <laughs> and and pick his favorite Razorback, and he's only done it twice. Probably doesn't bode well for whenever John Stevens draft eligible if the Cowboys would pick him late. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... I get you know I don't know if we count Ridgeway as an Ar- true Arkansas guy because he spent three four years at Illinois State yeah. before transferring in, but um, I thought it was a pretty interesting story the kid told after they beat the beat A and M at AT and T Stadium. He's standing next to Jerry and he said, "You're going to draft me next year." Da 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 da. And Jerry looked at him and the kid said, "Jerry goes, woo pig." <laughs> 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 that is pretty awesome. So I, I will say, and, and we've talked about this, and you kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but they, they talk about, no, we didn't have any musts. You know, they don't draft for need. But you look at this, you get two offensive linemen, you got multiple players on defense, you get a wide receiver, you get a tight end. It's hard not to take these nine guys and kind of say, if you could have written out what the Cowboys musts were for this draft, they took about nine guys that fill those. Yeah, right. And that's, you know, you draft for need. Like, you better draft for need. I mean, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Like, and again, if we've, we've talked about this before, like, let's say they told us this in the CD draft. They didn't need a wide receiver, but, man, CD was just too much of a blinking light. We had to do it. Well, you, you do that when it's a blinking light situation, right? Like, CD was, let's say CD was sixth. I think he was sixth on their board, maybe. And they're picking at, what, what were they picking at CD in the 17th that year? That's pretty big blinking light in how you set up your board, right? Because they're probably looking at the sixth player on their board versus, like, the 20th player on their board that year. So, but this, but to me, when you don't have the blinking light situation, the tie always goes, tie goes to the runner, tie goes to the need. Like, that. that's how this thing should operate because – 
you have to construct your roster in a way that you're thinking about the holes you have. And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I was thinking about this. I'm going to ask you all a question. What position do they need now to fill in for agency to, to, to protect their roster? I'm not saying getting better at, because you can always find guys to get better then. But is there a position right now that you say, okay, they got to go out and get more of this? And honestly, after the draft, I, I don't know what that is. And I know you can oh, – they always need corners. They always need pass rushers. Like, yeah. I, I got to – like, maybe you need a running back behind Zeke and, and uh, Pollard because Rico Dowdle's been hurt and all that stuff. Um, maybe you need a veteran interior offensive lineman just for protection in case Farniak and, and these guys that they – that they're – building with the last couple of years don't pan out. I mean, do you want to go in the season any... with Biotis or do you want to go get somebody like Treader or whoever it? Who? I said, Who? You, you want uh JC, whatever his name is from. Queens. Yeah. Oh, JC Treader from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know this to be true, but just my perception is Jerry's not going to sign the president of the NFLPA who doesn't believe in an off season program. <laughs> Right. Fair I mean, enough. and and there will be people not even with the Cowboys, but they'll say he's not the player he was. So, oh, OK. Um, I, I was going to say, I mean, they've signed a lot worse people than that. Right. It, it, but again, the Treader has talked about he doesn't believe in an offseason program and his encouraged players will not show up, blah, 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 blah which is all fine and that's part of his job and that's what he has to do but it doesn't mean the Cowboys will go sign him because he's the dude who's started and played a bunch of games true that true that yeah I, th- I, I would agree I don't know that you say that they have a need I, I, cornerback is yeah, still must, one right must? maybe do they have a must now that yeah I don't know it? like if James Bradbury if the Giants actually release him and the Cowboys but see that's the thing is I, I, I see a name like that and I'm like there's no way because the Cowboys aren't going to pay him not that he would get $13 million, but whatever it would cost. I mean, I'd be interested in somebody like that, but I don't know that they have a need that I feel like you have to absolutely go out and still get. Right. And, you know, you mentioned cornerback. We'll see what happens with Kelvin Joseph um, in, in his time and future. And they clearly were pretty defensive on, on him and where things stand with him and didn't really – well, we're going to let the investigation play out, and there's a lot of things we don't know. You know what his attorney said? Like, I don't know. That's a we've already went down that path, but yeah. maybe that's a situation where a cornerback becomes a a bigger need. But with safety, they kept Hooker, they kept Curse, they have Donovan Wilson, um, you know, and and I know I'm missing somebody else, but you no, know, McQuamu's back. I mean. Okay, so if you're adding a guy now, he, he's maybe your fourth best safety. So is that worth it? <laughs> and these are things, that's just something you can go get yeah. with injuries or whatever. That's something you can go get while you're in training camp or a final cut or make some trade or w- whatever you want to say. I guess there, maybe linebacker is still an issue beyond Micah and Van Der Esch, um, to a degree, right? You don't know about – I yep. mean, you got Devin Harper. Um, you got Luke Gifford. Cox. 
Cox, Cox coming off a knee. Right. Yeah. And then Clark is probably not going to be there for you. So. Right. Right. So maybe that's a spot that you, you know, you're going and looking, but again, you're not looking for Anthony Hitchens type of guy, right? You're looking for a special teams kind of guy um, in some respect. So at this point, you know, you know what I'm saying? You're not looking for, a guy to come in and play and start for you right away or have to play meaningful snaps. So again, that's a position that maybe once you get to training camp or injuries occur that you change what you're looking for. All right. Todd Archer, as always, man, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for jumping on and and appreciate the insight. Man, that was a quick 28 minutes. It did. Went by fast. That was was all ball today. That was good stuff, man. Fantastic. Good times. All right. Well, talk to you next week. All right, see you, fellas. All right, bro. There he is, Todd Archer. Always good to talk to him and and kind of fun to go through his thoughts on everybody there, and and you get the idea. It it is interesting. Clark was the one, and he was the dude I was telling everybody last time we did the podcast. You know, there's a good chance he may miss a chunk of the season, but that is a first-team All-SEC linebacker that they got with the 176th pick. That, to Archer's point there, is if he's healthy – and he doesn't have those problems, there's a very good chance he was off the board. Easily would have gone on day two. Easily. Yeah, I mean, but that's why he was there. That's why you shoot the jumper. I mean, fifth-round picks, and I I used to talk to Larry Lacewell about that. That's just a, um, you know, that's a dartboard, all right? So if you understand that, it just is what it is. So if you got a fifth-round pick, take a chance on a guy like that. Maybe you get lucky. Yeah, and, and the health issue as well, because you that's why the risk is there. Like, okay, well, if he's healthy and he can play, we got to steal. If not, this is a colossal waste of a pick because he'll never get on the field. True that. True and you that. don't know, which is why he lasts till the fifth round. So as we move forward here and had a couple of thoughts about the Rangers, but before we do that, let's tell you, of course, you guys know, if, if you, this is the time of the year, it's about to start getting really hot. Your, your soil gets dried out, and then out of the blue, it'll just dump rain on you. That can totally screw with your foundation. If you are starting to notice sticking doors or cracks in your ceiling, in your floors, in your walls, and you're like, where did that come from? You need to call HFX Foundation Solutions. Get them out there ahead of it before you allow it to get worse because, man, Aaron and his crew, they'll get you taken care of, and foundation is one of those things you really don't want to screw with because that, that is one of those things in life that at first you're like, that's probably no big deal. And then you're like, oh, my God, this is crazy expensive. And they've basically got to do my entire house over. Dude, you don't want that, man. That's why you want to give Aaron and his team over there at HFX a call and let them give you the peace of mind that comes with them uh, checking your house out and making sure it's, it's good from top to bottom, man. Uh, and to me, for the cost of a phone call, <laughs> it's well worth it. It is. It's very well worth it because it's a free, no obligation inspection. Chances are he comes out and writes you a no problem letter. Better safe than sorry. So find out today with HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174, 817-770-0174, or online at hfxfoundation.com. Also, of course, Smokey John's Barbecue, man. If you guys haven't tried the Jam Session Bowl yet, I would highly encourage you to do so because rave reviews continue to just pour in for this thing. It's trying to find because we got another one over the weekend on Instagram. It was Mickey. So hello, Mickey Johnson, and thanks for supporting those guys. He says he sent us this message. 
says, get in my jam session bowl plus a rib. And then I said, how was it? He goes, jam session bowl was on point. It's great. <laughs> Telling you guys, man, Smokey John's barbecue, they just, they knock it out of the park. And I, I just, no matter what you get, even if you don't want to get the jam session bowl, which is, by the way, only available to Jam Session listeners. Anything on the menu, and I, you and I have had pretty much most of it. it. It's all very, very good. Bro, it's fantastic. Everything on the menu is outstanding. And the thing about Smokey John's is, man, you can go whole, I mean, you can go real old school soul food. You can go wings on Wednesday. You can go Jam Session's uh, special on the secret menu. All of that's terrific, man. Uh, and, and, if you don't live in DFW, I can go to the app. I mean, go to the website, go to the marketplace. You can get the rub or the sauce sent right to your home wherever you are. Yes, it's that simple. Smokey John's Barbecue. If you haven't gone on over there yet, you need to try the Jam Session Bowl. It's on the secret menu. It's only for Jam Session listeners. It's available at Smokey John's Barbecue in Dallas right there off Mockingbird. You remember Willie Calhoun, don't you? Yeah, bro. I'm sure some of you remember Willie Calhoun. You go, Willie Calhoun sounds familiar. Well, he did play for your Texas Rangers, and now he is at AAA. And it sounds like that's it for Willie Calhoun and the Texas Rangers. We'll see. But Willie Calhoun, five years ago, was the centerpiece of the U Darvish trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was the headliner. They send Darvish to the Dodgers. Calhoun was the, the top prospect they got back, along with A.J. Alexi, who's basically stuck at AAA, and an infielder named Brendan Davis, who's no longer with the organization. Calhoun had a really, really interesting ride, man, because in 2018, he got cut in spring training, admitted that that was frustrating for him, but he, he went through the season down there, lost like 20 pounds, retooled himself, came back, and the next season did not land on the opening day roster. And some of you guys may remember, I think that was 2019, as I recall. Right. And remember, he threw like a hissy fit and was pissed off and like went away from the team for a couple of days before deciding that he was going to be a man and and come to grips with the, <laughs> the decision. Remember, because Chris Woodward was like, oh, yeah, you know, we understand. He's really disappointed. We're giving him some time. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, dude, go do what you're supposed to damn do. Like you're throwing a little fit. Okay, then he comes back, and last spring, he's I mean, he's tearing it up. And then it happens, face ball, fastball to his face, breaks his jaw, and ever since then, he's been really up and down, and now he's in a platoon, and unfortunately for him, it is not working. He's hitting, when they sent him down, Willie Calhoun was hitting, I believe, 136, option to triple a and he is flat out on the record he does not want to be here and flat out said i want to get traded i'm going to go to triple a and put myself in a position to get traded i do want to be traded hey dude how about i'm in the big leagues i'm going to put my position in this to uh stay in the big leagues by hitting i mean come on man you hitting 136 um you've been in the big leagues parts of three or four seasons by now Dude, the big leagues have always been a what have you done for me lately business because they have the minor leagues, because they have options. Uh, until you prove yourself, you haven't proved yourself to get the benefit of the doubt. So stop your whining, stop your bitching, stop your complaining, hit the ball, and then, you know, uh, you have options. I mean, let me ask you this, Matt. Who's lining up to trade for Willie Calhoun? No one. He has zero trade value, which is why he hadn't been, he, he can't be traded. Nobody wants him. 
None. Z- like, I'm not kidding you. Zero. I, I mean, maybe, you know, you could get them for a bag of baseballs or something. <laughs> I mean, it's sometimes, man, cats, uh, athletes, people in general, athletes in particular, just lack self-awareness, man. Like, you you really mad. You really upset. Like, come on, dog. Well, what, what's really fascinating about Calhoun is, and Levi Weaver had a phenomenal article where he talked directly to him in the athletic that came out last week. And some of the things that Calhoun says, I'm just sitting here going, you, you have this odd sense of entitlement. Like you're owed something for somebody who's never done anything. True that. Like he says, I feel like my whole career has been in a repeating cycle. And he pointed out like when he was originally at the university of Arizona and he said, I finally got out of there to go somewhere I wanted to be. And then he blossomed and hit really well at some place called Yavapai college, which I'd never heard of until this article. And then he, he talks about the Rangers and he says, I don't agree with some of the hitting philosophies from the new guys. I don't process it too well. I'm not six, four, 230 pounds. I can't hit pop up home runs. I don't have that kind of leverage. And he goes on to talk about that. When he got to the Rangers organization, they wanted him to start launching it. That's who I was in the minor leagues. They knew that, but they thought they could turn me into a power guy. And I just thought it's it's really interesting to me that you have taken something and decided that what the coaches want from you is not what, to me, you're uncoachable. Right. Is basically what I gathered. Like, I gathered a guy who seems like kind of a pompous, uncoachable, I am owed something attitude out of this yeah i get some of that man it's just uh it's i just don't know what i don't know what to make you happy if you've never performed like you have no track record for anybody to say oh yeah you know he'll he'll come around like marcus simeon ain't nobody really tripping on him yet because like oh well his track record is he has been slow occasionally slow starter but he'll hit it up and track record says he'll end up around 275 290 you know 40 bombs and We'll move on. Hadn't happened yet, but, you know, he got a track record, so you trust him. Uh, plus, he got that big old contract. Uh, Calhoun ain't got nothing, man. And it's not, the, it's not the Rangers' job to live on hope, faith, and optimism with him, man. No, not at all. And, again, like, he continues in this story, and he goes, he goes back and refers to his situation in college again, and he goes, I feel like it's the same situation. I've been wanting out of this for the last year, year and a half. I feel like I need a change of scenery. And I, to me, I'm going, okay, you got one because now you're at AAA. <laughs> There's your change of scenery, brother. Like, perform now and focus on all you can do is focus on what you can control. And this is dude, this is some guy talking about all this crap that he can't control. And, and you know, you hate it because I was hoping, like, the, the return on Darvish I don't think was in, ever anything that we were all excited about. But the hope was, okay, this Willie Calhoun guy, maybe they can develop him into a fielder at some point. If not, he can at least DH because he can hit. Well, he's he's a below average fielder. He's a horrible base runner. And if he's not hitting, he's got nothing. Dude, he's he's the ultimate one-dimensional player, and he ain't doing that one-dimensional with a damn. No, and that's the whole thing. So I, I, I thought that was interesting with that whole bit of, about him and everything there. And it's it's unfortunate for the Rangers, but he's obviously not a part of their future. And I do hope that he does go to AAA and does show and turn things around so that he can get his ass traded. You know, that would be lovely. Because I'm one of those <laughs> things, man. You don't want to be here. Double birds. Peace out. Yeah, bro. Holla. And, yeah, exactly. GTFO, friend.
Wow. It's kind of how I feel about that. And speaking of the Rangers, of course, we mentioned this the other night. They took two out of three against the Braves, and they were off on Monday, and they're starting a series. I thought this was – how about this for a random-ass happening? And I saw, like, you know, Phillies – somebody retweeted, like, Phillies PR or some crap, you know, because they're playing Philadelphia. And right. they had this weird-ass note. <laughs> I mean, this is – it's not going to get stranger than this. Apparently, the Phillies have a player on their team whose name is Ranger. His name I is, I think it's Ranger Baum or somebody like that. And, and he is the first player in Major League Baseball history, which I also thought was really weird, to be no, whose name is Ranger. He's the first ever, Ranger <laughs> Suarez is his name. And he is the first ever named guy Ranger, so he will be the first player named Ranger that the team, the Texas Rangers, has ever faced. I mean, you know. Which is weird as hell, is, but. Alas, is good for something. <laughs> I know, I saw that. I was like, that's so freaking random, man. I mean, that is just, that is weird. And then before we wrap up, I want to throw this out here because I, I, we have another situation in the NFL and where I live in Birmingham, like a lot of people are Titans fans and, we, and the Titans are on our station and stuff sometimes. Well, Ryan Tannehill today, you know, the Titans drafted Malik Willis and he was asked about mentoring and, and bringing up and Tannehill said, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. Now I am on the side of, I completely agree with him because to me, his job is to win and to focus on putting himself in the best situation to win games, not worry about if he's getting his possible replacement slash backup ready to win games. And I always find this conversation really odd because like one guy tweeted at me, he said, it's not his job, but what if he gets hurt? Helping the young guy develop could possibly land the team a championship. He's a bad teammate. And I thought, well, then fire the coaching staff and hire Tannehill to coach Willis. Uh, I think there's some happy medium in there. I don't think it has to be all or nothing. I, I think, um, and this is all I'm saying, like, I'm trying to if you're if if I was a lead beat guy and I and I have been and and you come in and you don't have a lot of experience now it's not my job to to sit down there and show you the ropes but if you're okay you know what scratch that scratch that forget I just said that uh it's like uh it's like uh the the attorney has objected strike that from the record here's a better example uh, Jerry Fraley, one of the best beat writers in America, uh, he died about three years ago from cancer. Um, he was not a friendly person. I mean, he just wasn't. He was an asshole to most people. I was assigned to be the Rangers' number two guy. He was the number one guy. I was like, oh, my God. This dude doesn't like anybody. I didn't know anything about baseball other than, you know, I know the sport. I know the rules. I don't know how to cover it, really. And so it ain't Fraley's job to teach me how to be a baseball guy. My job is to go, because he's the best, so, you know, Ryan Tannehill is a good starting quarterback. So my job was to go kind of observe, do my thing, kind of observe his approach. And if I had questions like, hey, man, I know I was supposed to have my story done at 10 o'clock last night, but – the Rangers were playing a softball league game, and I got caught with my pants down, and I missed my deadline. How can I write on deadline? Oh, let me show you. To me, that's what it is. It's not Ryan Tannehill going, hey, 
young fella, come here, let me teach you. It's Malik Willis going, hey, man, I don't really understand that. Um, how are you doing that? It's asking questions. And most people, if you ask questions about what they're doing because they do it so well, yeah. they, don't mind, they don't mind helping you. They're like, oh, yeah, let me show you how to do it. I, or this. Hey, I look at tape every day at 5.30 in the morning. That's it. <laughs> you want to bring your ass up at 5 30 in the morning? Yeah. I I got you. I'm not trying to if you got questions about can we watch some tape at six o'clock at night? I dog, I was here at 5 30 in the morning. You want to get some of this? Come get this shit at 5 30 in the morning. That to me is what it's all about. And I don't I don't know Ryan Tannehill. I don't think Ryan Tannehill got any problem with that. But no, nah, I'm not gonna be making special trips to help Malik do this or do that. But no, nah, if he wants to, if he wants to ask me questions and get in my hip pocket and see how I make it do what it do, well, dude, that ain't nothing but flattery. Yeah, and see, was, I, 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 everything you just say with, I completely agree with that part. But to me, that's not his job. Like, like it's up to the person who's hungry to be like, hey, you know, what can right. I do? Do you mind if I come by? Like you're talking about, right? Um, and then people got, and if you, if you're serious about getting good. Then that's what you'll do. Like, to, like this, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go. Okay, because I was going to say, like, like, the bad teammate thing, to me, he would be a bad teammate if Malik came to him and said, hey, do you mind if, I know you're about to watch film, do you mind if I sit with you and, and, and pick your brain while we're going through it? And then Tannehill's like, no, you can't sit in here with me. Yeah, I like to do this by myself. Yeah, see, that, that's, that's a little different where I'd be like, now you're a bad teammate, but as far as, like, the expectation is for me to go out of my way, when his job is to make sure he's as prepared, or any starting quarterback, has to be as prepared as he can because they are the QB1 until they're not, and his focus is on winning football games. No, I don't have any problem with that, brother. And that's how I see it. But thank you for listening. That was from uh, LJ. <laughs> LJ, L Boogie on Twitter says, um, by the way, love the podcast. So keep up the good work. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Very kind of you, sir. We love you, too. <laughs> Apparently, I'm very Southern now. Yes, you are. Yes. All right. Well, that was a good one today. I highly enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. And maybe at some point in the next week or so, we will review all of Ozark when Jacques knocks it out, and then we'll see how it how it wraps up. What happens? I'm not even going to even hint to you what happens. Oh, my. Oh, my. You'll never... Again, it's... I don't know that I had any idea how this thing was going to end. I, I like at the, even as we we're approaching the end of it and we kept pausing it to be like, well, how much time? Like, I mean, you just, you just, Ozark is one of those shows that I, if, I will say this about Ozark. I feel like they, they had it where they could have ended it in several different ways and all of it would have worked however they chose. Right. Like there's a lot of different ways with everything that happens in Ozark that you could end it and it would any way would work. And I and so, did, you know, they so chose one of those like the way it ended. I, I thought it was. Yeah, I did. I thought it ended. Okay. And, and I'll explain more of that when we get to that point. But I, I liked the way that it ended. And it was one of the many possible endings and it was fine. OK, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So maybe we'll have that for you here in the next podcast or two. Enjoy your week. Love you too. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. 
Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.